Turn to Colossians 3, and uh, we're continuing our study through Colossians. Uh, and, and again, chapter 3 began, remember, with the call to take a heavenly perspective on all things in life. And, and the perspective naturally is, is rooted and emerges from our new identity. Our, our citizenship is in heaven, our inheritance is there, and naturally our, our minds ought to be there. We ought to have a heavenly perspective on things. Believers have died, their lives are hidden with Christ in God, and, and currently we are being renewed into the image of our Creator as believers. And, and this must be our perspective on all of life, a gospel-centered, God-focused perspective. And, and, and it's going to require what we, for us to rightly process what we see today if we're going to do that. We, we have to always, always, always go back to the gospel. The, the gospel is always going to be the why behind everything we do. If, if we disconnect it from the gospel, it, it loses, the, the things that we're called for lose their power, they lose their import, but, but they just simply become moral things that, that we're supposed to do versus them being connected to the gospel. And what Paul is building on here is he is answering the question, how should we live as God's chosen people? Last week we, we addressed that, and, and this week we're building on that. And, and you'll see on your, your notes... The main point, I'm going to say this word uh, as many times as I can say it today. I want this word to get in us, and it's the word connected. In response to God's choosing us for salvation, every aspect of our lives is to be connected to the fact that we belong to God as His people. We have to keep everything connected to who we are in Christ. To our, to our identity. That is the why. And, and, and the other morning, Sarah Grace, at her school there, annually they do this fundraiser, and they may do it at your son's or daughter's as well, called Boosterthon. And it's an annual fundraiser, and, and what it does is it gets you, as a parent and grandparents and friends and all that, you pledge money for every lap that the kids run. And so you pledge a certain amount and then your kid, your child goes and runs those laps under on a certain specific time and then they multiply what you give times the laps and that's your donation. And so we were talking about that and Sarah Grace says, you know, she says, Dad, you ought to like this one because it's just pledges. It doesn't cost you any money. And I thought, well then, put me down for $100 a lap. You know, and, and in her little mind, you know, clearly she's not on Boosterthon's marketing team. Clearly she's not, she's missing something. You know, I wanted to go, I wanted to kid and, and talk to the head guy there, but I didn't want to discourage him. But like, she, she totally disconnected the pledges from the whole point of the pledge. You see that? It's not just a pledge. See, that pledge is connected to a promise and, and the response, my response, namely me writing a check, flows from the pledge. It, the, the, the response is not out of nowhere. 
It's not, un, it's not, it's not unbased. It, it, it flows from my pledge. The pledge is connected to something else. It's not just saying one thing and doing another. I pledge a certain amount per lap. And then if, when she runs those laps, we'll make sure she eats a heavy breakfast that morning. She, then we have to pay. We have to pay. But the pledge has to be connected. Has to be connected. Her running laps is connected. My check is connected to a pledge. And my great fear is, is that that is similar to how maybe some of us in here today, may, maybe Christians all over the world, my fear is that's similar to how we treat the gospel. That we fail to connect our allegiance to Christ to everything else. That, that we see it as it's just a pledge. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just a pledge. We fail to see, as Sarah Grace does, that, that that pledge, that loyalty, that allegiance is the basis for everything else in our lives. The fact that we've been chosen, the fact that our identity is in Christ, the fact that we who are believers, we bear His name, that changes everything. We cannot disconnect our, our identity as Christians from every single area of our lives. Our lives are responses to our identity as Christian. Just like me writing that check is a response to my pledge. They're, they're connected. And, and again, we've been rescued. We've been transferred. We saw that in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Transferred to a new kingdom. That, the result of that is in verses 5 through 9, Paul said, therefore put off all malice and anger and all these things. Why? Because it's not representative of our king. It doesn't accurately represent the character of our king. But then he says to put on some things. Why? Because these things were... In a lot, they were aligned, they were representative of the character of our king as we're being, verse 10, renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created us. Again, our lives are to be conformed to that new identity, that new self. And on all of this, all of this, what we see is connected to that. It's connected to our identity, it's connected to the gospel. I mean, the, the whole point here is the gospel and the unrivaled nature of Christ and the unity that he's bringing among, uh, amongst his people as he forms us into his image and for his glory. It's all connected back to our identity as his representatives as Christians. And, and you see on your handout, everything Paul writes about in this passage is pointing, it's pointing not to self, but to the glory of God, that Christ would be all in all, as he says in verse 11. That the world around us would see Christ when they see us. Again, everything about our lives as believers has to be connected to the gospel. Even our lives individually have to be connected to one another. Just like when on June 28th, I had to think about that for a second. June 28th of 2003, I got married to Karen. Guess what? I died. It's now self. I mean, it's now us. It's not self. That's the problem. That's the problem. 
self still exists. It's we. The two shall become one flesh. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, Any good, husbands, any good done to your wife is good to you. And he says, Any bad done to your wife is bad to you. Why? Because you're one body. You're one body. And again, it goes back to my identity as being, look, Karen's spouse, we're married. And and everything that we see in this picture here, it's about community. It's about our identity as a community, as a body, as the people of God. To the glory of the one who saved us, to to the glory of the one who called us, who chose us. In spite of our differences. That's what we saw in in verse 11. There's no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all in all. His glory is what it's to be about. His glory is where our identity is to be found. It's what unites us. It's not about these things that the world uh, segregates us about. Our, Our unity is to be found in Christ. And and you'll see it on your handout. Everything, please hear this, everything in the rest of Colossians is and will be more about the glory of God and the good of community rather than you as an individual. Please hear that. We, We come to the Bible and the first question, it's a wrong question, the first question we ask is, what does this mean for me? That's a wrong question. When you come to the Bible, it's what does this mean for God? That's the primary question. It's not about you and me primarily. And we come to the Bible, we, we just want to, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? No, no. How, what does this mean for God and the people that he's building? Please, please hear it that way. This is about community. A community, by the way, look around this room, made up of different races, made up of different ethnicities, made up of different social backgrounds, religious backgrounds. We, we've, we've been guided and led to Christ from many, from many backgrounds, many differences, and those things in and of themselves bring about the, the, the danger of real disunity. And yet in Christ, we lay those differences down, and in Christ, we find unity. Regardless of the language, regardless of the ethnicity, regardless of race, regardless of social, regardless of economics, all these things, what unifies us is Christ. And and it's the glory of God in God bringing about people from all different nations and races as in ethnicities, all these things. It's the glory of God that binds us. When people say, how do y'all get along? It's the glory of God. Why do you love them? The glory of God. The gospel. I mean, that's the why. It, look at verse 17. We'll get there eventually. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Who is this all about? It's about God. It's about the glory of God. And, and, and what, what girds this all together, what binds it all together, is, is unity amongst His people all to the glory of God. And, and that is the theological truth that binds this. You'll see it on your handout. As his body, we are to be about his glory and mission, not our own, in every area of our lives. We are to take our salvation and let it wash over and, and, and inform and guide every single area of our lives. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. 
Our salvation is to inform and is to guide every single area of our lives 24-7. It is the why. Our lives are to be about the glory of God. Yesterday, our family cleaned our house. You know what? Clean it to the glory of God. It takes a very mundane, awful task. Brings meaning to it. Purpose to it. I'm simply a steward. And look at verse 12. And last week we saw this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. I, I know that that word can bring great discomfort, but please don't let it. It ought to bring security. It ought to bring, it ought to bring comfort rather than discomfort. It ought to bring freedom to go out and serve and share the gospel, realizing it's not up to me to, act, to convince somebody to be slick enough, to be cool enough, to be relative enough, all these things. It's not up to me to convince them of their sinfulness. It's up to me to present the gospel rightly, and the Spirit convicts them of their sinfulness. There, there ought to be great freedom there. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, I did not come with superiority or superiority of speech. Why? Because I did not want your faith to rest in the wisdom of man, but rather in the grace of God. He says, I came pronouncing nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that quickens the spiritual deadness in our hearts. And, and I realize that that is an uncomfortable reality, but, but all throughout the Bible you see a sovereign God choosing. And, and again, I'm not, I, 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 I'm not trying to kick the fence. I'm not, I'm not trying to revive struggles here. I, I realize that these, these passages can create some uncomfortableness. But, but Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. You see, God is the initiator. All based on his mercy and his grace. And I share that not only connect with last week, but to connect with this week. Because the question becomes, why did he choose us? Why is God saving sinners? And Paul begins to answer this question. But Paul also answered that question in Romans 8. Why? To be conformed to the image of the one who is saving you. Not, not get you a ticket to heaven. Not get you fire insurance. The goal is to conform you and I as believers to the one who has saved us. It hearkens you all the way back to Genesis 1. We were created to be image bearers. We were created to reflect the image of the one who created us. In salvation, God is literally recreating us that we would reflect the character of the one who saved us. And, and that, is the, that is the important truth that, we, that we're dealing with here, that, that that gives value and meaning and, and importance to what we see here. He, he says, holy and beloved. You see it on your hand now. To be holy, it literally means to be set apart unto God, separate from the world. As, as that declaration, he is saying, I set you apart for me. 
set apart. Just like, just like in marriage, you set apart one man, and man, you set apart one woman from all others, set apart. The word beloved there, it means that we're the specific objects of God's love, a special love. Again, just as a wife to her husband. And we think of holiness oftentimes as negatively saying, saying what we can't do. We've been set apart to something, namely someone. And again, marriage is that picture. Same thing that Romans 8 teaches us. We have been saved to reflect the character of the one who saved us. It is not about, listen, it's not about you and I primarily. It is about the one doing the saving. It is about the one who saved you to be conformed to his image, that the world would see him in us. There, there's tremendous consistency with this in Scripture. And it goes, again, what Paul is getting at here, again, we were, I, I, Israel called to be lights. Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that seeing your good deeds, they may what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. What are your good deeds ultimately about? The glory of the one who saved you. What, what, what is your light ultimately about? It is to reflect the one who saved you. And, and what Paul is getting at here in, in Colossians 3, and you see it in your handout, our identity as believers is to be found in our adoption into the people of God, not our social constructs nor our ethnicity. And, and what he's doing here, the gospel destroys all of these things so that we can be built up in a new way upon a new foundation, namely the gospel and the glory of God. The goal being what we saw in verse 11, that Christ would be all in all. Everything in our lives has to be connected back to the gospel, not our ethnicity or our social status or any of these other things. Go every, go, everything has to be connected back. The why is the glory of the one who saved us. And that is, again, the context. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Heavenly perspective. It is that heavenly perspective that guides our entire lives. Again, Christ and the gospel and the glory of God are the why of everything. And, and, and if, you, if, if you understand the background here, what Paul is doing, once there was a time where we boasted in our culture, the Greeks boasted greatly in their culture, but now they boasted in Christ. The Jews, they boasted in their religious tradition, in their religious upbringing, but now they boast in Christ. Once we got our strokes because of our ethnic pedigree or, or we're identified as this or that or that. You know what? No. Christ is all. That's our identity. Once we struggled to find our significance, to find our happiness, to find our security, and we, found, we tried to find those in what we were in relation to other people. We're Jews. We're Greeks. We're circumcised. We're free. We're American. We're rich. We're smart. We're... We're strong, we're pretty, we're this, we're cool, we're witty, we're relevant. We're... But listen, he says, put all that off. Here's my identity, Christ. Christ, I'm a Christian. I'm an image bearer. I'm a representative. It's not about all these other things that, that divide us. 
What unites all of us in here is, as believers, those of us in here who are believers, who have repented of their sin and cried out to Jesus singularly for the forgiveness of that sin, what identifies you is Christ. Christian. That's what Paul says in, in Galatians 2.20. He says, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in in me. The life I live, I now live in by faith in the one who saved me and gave himself up for me. What defined Paul? Christ. What defined Paul? The gospel. No, look, no matter what the issue, no matter what the activity, no matter what the idea is, no matter what the subject in school is, no matter what the vocation is, no matter what the TV program is, no matter, no matter what, here it is. It, it, it exists for Christ and His glory, or nothing at all. Please see that. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. There, there's nothing in our lives where we, just like in a marriage. I mean, imagine Karen, if I said, Karen, this weekend I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like I'm not married. Imagine, imagine the foolishness of that. Or, or imagine if I just told her even, hey, for the next ten minutes can I act like I'm not married. You, you see the foolishness there. I'm married. My identity, I'm married to Karen. That, that translates and, and, and infiltrates every single area of my life. I act like a fool on the sports field. Guess who? Get, that's your husband. That's your husband out there acting like a fool. You know? Why? Because any good done to me is good done to her. Any bad done to me is... Oh, it, it's the same with Christianity. There's never a moment of your life, Christian, that you don't represent your king. That you're not to reflect your king. That is the very reason he chose you. And again, it's not simply... And, 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 and again, where am I in my notes? Okay, here we go. I, I stress this again because it's the heart of the Bible. The, it's this new community... It's this new creation. And you see it there in your handout. The new thing about the new self is that Christ, not self, is all in all and what everything is to be about. That's the newness. For the first time in our lives, we can forget ourselves and we can be swallowed up in Christ. And what he's saying here is that Christ is our success. You see it there. Christ becomes our success. He's our success. Christ is also our significance. Christ is our fulfillment. Christ is our satisfaction. He's our security. He's our peace. Because why? He's our all. He's what it's about. And again, Paul does not... Again, Paul doesn't say it's enough to simply say Christ is all. Again, if that were enough, then Colossians wouldn't have needed to be written. If it was just, hey, just profess that Christ is all and move on, that's not what he does. See, because God could have created you in a new self as a believer that was so complete and so perfect that you would intuitively act with purity and love and justice with ever, without ever praying, without ever reading the Bible, without ever needing him, without ever abiding in him, and yet he didn't. He could have created us with such an unbroken focus on Christ that there'd be no need for Paul to cry out, Christ is all. 
No need, no need for us to have small groups where we struggle with questions like, where is Christ when our children die? And Christ in the mar- when our marriage is tottering? And when, when we, how do we love those we hate? And, 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 you know, the fears and all the things that people in this room are dealing with. But it didn't. It didn't come that way. And I think the reason is because we're becoming. And in the process of that becoming conformed, we have to depend on Him. We learn to trust Him. It's what, it's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, Therefore we despaired even beyond ourselves, even to the point of death. And he says, Why? So that I would not trust in myself, but in God who raises the dead. And you think about how... like. You know how arrogant we would be towards the rest of the world if God just saved us and we became perfect? I mean, we're arrogant already. You know how much credit we would take for that versus the humility of having to abide? Because listen, the abiding, who gets the glory in the abiding? God gets the glory in the abiding. If day by day by day by day I've got to trust in Him and rely on Him and His strength is perfected in my weakness, guess who gets the glory day by day in my life? God gets it. God gets it. And you and I, believer, are in the process of being renewed to a new man or new woman, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who called us. And it's a process. And, and you see it there, what we are called to put on, there on your handout, we are called to be reflections of the one who saved us. Reflections. As we put these things on that we're about to look at, we reflect the one, we become a picture of the one who saved us. All to his glory, as we see in verse 17. And again, no longer do we judge people and define people by these social constructs. And you see it there on your handout. The new creature we are being formed into is not defined by social or cultural markers, but it's defined by the person and the character of Christ. Our Christianity, again, it is about reflecting the one who has saved us. It ha- our whole lives have to remain connected to our salvation. And again, as a community, we do this individually as part of a community. I mean, look at verse 13, or 12. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Every single one of those, every single one of those are things that you first received from Christ. We don't have the time, but you can look up passages. I have them if you want them. Every single one of those characteristics we first received from God through Christ. You know what he's saying? Do you see the import? He's saying, put on what you have first received. Give to others what you first received from God through Christ. That's the whole goal of our lives. Because again, it glories in, it reflects the one who saved us. And you see this clearly, look at verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Our forgiving one another is grounded in whose forgiveness? Our own. It's grounded in our own. Again, the, these are way beyond mere, more, mere virtues or just benevolence or, or morality. 
we're not simply called to be ethical people. We are, to, we are called to reflect our Savior. We are to do these things out of an abundance of having received that first from our Savior. Therefore, who gets the glory? He does. I thought about it this morning quickly. Taryn, Taryn had on new shoes and, and uh, she was wanting me to see Taryn Thayer and she wanted me to see her new shoes and she said, Kieran bought me these for Christmas. Well, guess what? Sarah and Chris bought those. You see, but here's the point. You see the trend. You see that what who gave us everything that we're to give out? God deposited that in our life. You know what he said? Give it out. Same way the little Kieran bought those shoes for Taryn. You and I are simply giving out of the abundance of that which we've been given. We're not giving out of our own. We're giving out of the character that our eyes have been opened to the gospel that we see that we've received and we simply give out that which we've been given. And again, we, you have to keep your life and all you do connected to the gospel. And you see it in your hand now. God's grace to us first is our fuel and only hope for showing grace to others. It makes what we see here so much more than just being good people. Christianity is not simply being a good, moral, external person. It is living in a way that glorifies the one who saved us. It, everything goes back to the gospel. And it starts in how we treat each other. It's even made possible by having been treated the way we have been by God. Look at your own salvation. Now go do to others. And, and in everything, you see it there, we are called, we are simply imitating, imitating what God has first done in and for us. All of those things. The fuel is what we first received. That's why understanding, understanding your salvation and, 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 and the gospel and the richness there is so important. We never leave the gospel. We never move beyond it. It's our fuel. And again, everything flows, even, even linking forgiveness here. Forgiveness is really the link that connects the first half and the second half of this letter. Everything flows, that's your fill-in there, flows from your relationship to God through the gospel. That is the connection that we have to make and maintain. All of these virtues flow from you from God to you and are to be given to others as you have first received again way beyond just a moral or a good person everything Paul does here is linked to the gospel and it's linked to our own forgiveness first and, and you see it there in the gospel we find the ultimate grounds for practicing grace it's our own salvation in Matthew 18, in verse 21, listen, because this is very strong. Jesus gives a very strong parable here. Listen to what he says. They were, Peter came to him and said to him, How often shall I forgive my, brother, forgive my brother's sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, I say up to seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. 
when he had begun to settle them, one, one who owed him 10,000 talents. That would be billions of dollars. Just hear me. It would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of annual salaries. It owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be just a, you know, maybe a few hundred bucks to compare, and went out and owed him a hundred denarii. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay. By the way, the exact same thing that that man had said to his king when he needed forgiveness. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to you, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? See it? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. Listen, verse 35. My, Jesus is speaking, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. See what the grounds of forgiveness is? It's realizing that you and I were the slave that owned a debt that could never, ever, ever be repaid. And from the abundance of that grace, then we are willing to, I'm willing to forgive you and you're willing to forgive me of a debt that pales, no matter what it is, pales in comparison to your sin debt that was forgiven through Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what it is. Mine and your sin debt to one another pales to the debt that you've been forgiven in Christ. And everything about our lives, even our forgiving and you, and of one another, flows from the gospel. And, and again, what Paul is saying is the only fitting response, that's the fill-in, next fill-in, to the gospel is to treat others how we've first been treated. It's understanding our own sin debt and then forgiving others out of, the, out of the gloriousness of that. It's putting on to others what we first received. You know, you, you see it in, in Colossians, you see it in Matthew 18. The reality is to not live this way in giving others what we first received from the gospel, in this case, refusing to forgive, we're rejecting the principle of grace. And the principle here that he puts forth is very clear. Those who refuse the principle of grace will not be forgiven. Why? Because it's showing that you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand your own forgiveness. And, and, and you, you, you couple that with, with... We don't have much time, but we got a little bit. Luke 7... I mean, listen to this, because this is important. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. 
And she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. When she learned this, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing him with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. Bad thing to say, I'm just telling you. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, so which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not, stopped to kiss, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Do you see how our, outward, you know, how our behavior is attached to our understanding of the gospel? Our, our refusal to show or practice the grace of God that first received is an exceptional offense to our Father. And, and what he's saying is this. You see it on your handout. Even our love for one another, which Paul gets to here in Colossians 3.14, is rooted in the gospel. It's understanding the love that God first showed us, the forgiveness that God first showed us. Beyond all these things, verse 14, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I mean, the reality is this. You and I, believer, we were the spiritual prostitutes. We were the spiritually dead. We were the spiritually blind, the lame, the lepers in need of someone to heal us. That unites us. Our sin debt, our forgiveness. And yet, and yet He chose us, forgave us. There, there ought to be tremendous humility there. Knowing we did nothing, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, lest you boast. I mean, when we, when we as a people see our sin debt for what it truly is, when we recognize the love that God has showered on us when it was totally undeserved, when, when we deserved wrath and yet He gave us grace, I mean, when we admit that, there's tremendous power to love others, to serve others. Why? Because you're, giving out of, you're only giving out of that which you've been given first. But we tend to forget. We tend to lessen our sin debt. We tend to think that we worked or we deserved it or that we earned it or that we were smart. And, and you know what? It crushes our ability to forgive and love when we do that. Why? Because then we're giving out of our own righteousness instead of out of the righteousness that God imputed to us. And then we begin to be the judge and jury and executioner of who we get to forgive and who we don't and why we do and why we don't. And we begin to be the judge versus God is the judge. We, we forget that we were the one with the huge debt 
And then we turn around and strangle our friend over here who has a little debt. And we must, we must connect even our forgiveness and loving of one another to the gospel. In John 13, 34, he says, This is how they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. The badge, the identification of a Christian ought to be our love for one another. And it starts here, Galatians 6, Do good to everyone, especially, especially those a household of faith. Especially. Because we're family. And we're united in our forgiveness. And everything we see here rests on the prior grace that we've received in the gospel. And, and this grace in our lives was meant to be cultivated and shown to others. And it culminates in our... And that's actually the culmination when we represent our Father. And this community of believers, the church, is to be characterized by grace, all fueled in the gospel, having first received it by grace. And our worship, you see it there, is conforming and submitting our lives to Christ's lordship in response to the gospel. That's worship. Romans 12. This is your spiritual service of worship, that you do not be conformed any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you offer your bodies up as a spiritual sacrifice. That's your worship. Everything connected to the gospel. And, and hear me, that would be my utmost desire for this church. That, that, that everything about us, that, that, that my hope is, is that through discipleship, through growing in God's grace and reflecting Him, that we would grow into maturity in Christ. That Christ would be our all in all. And, and in that maturity, guess what? Unity flows from maturity. When we understand the gospel. If we're going to be unified, we need maturity. And my goals here, listen, they're not... They're not about size. They're not about growth. It's not about buildings. It's not about programs. I couldn't care less, specifically, individually, about what size we are. We could be 10,000 people strong, yet if we don't love each other, listen, we failed. We failed. We can take pride in our buildings and our numbers and all that stuff, and yet if we don't love one another, and if we don't love the ones that God has called us to love, we failed. Everything in our lives has to be connected to grace and, and, and be sought to conform to our Savior. That, that our lives, that we would reflect the supremacy and the sufficiency of our Savior. And that we'd, we'd do it together. That, that we would be a church that is characterized by a pursuit of holiness. Holiness. Not numbers. That Christ's likeness would be our pursuit. And I promise you, if we love well, if we're unified, and we're all chasing after holiness, do you think we'll grow? Probably. You think people would be attracted to our lives? Probably. But, but we can also skip that, and we can have a bunch of programs, and we can do a bunch of gimmicks. We can fill this place and hate each other's guts. And pride ourselves on being full. Oh, we got four services. You hate each other's guts. And again, I don't have... I don't, I say four services as soon as I do that. Don't let your minds go to churches that have four services. I don't hate them. I don't hate them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's the danger. 
to pride ourselves on the thing the world prides itself on and miss the most important part, that we reflect our Savior in everything we do, that we give out of what we've first been given. And the question I would put before you today is, and and we're going to introduce a few people who are applying for membership. Tony's going to come up and and introduce them. Here's my question. Is your life characterized by a pursuit of holiness? And how you answer that question greatly reflects all the rest of us who are members at Odessa. These individuals that we're about to introduce are applying for membership. We're going to, you may know something about them that we don't know. Over the next couple weeks, hey, if they got hidden stuff that would not be representative of this body, you need to tell us. That's exactly why we're doing this, and we're not ashamed of that. Because we're not interested in just growing for growth's sake. We're interested in holiness. We're not demanding they be perfect. We are demanding that, they, that there be nothing obvious in their life that would take away from God's glory in this body. They are going to go out from here and represent this church, this body, just like you who are currently members do. That is a big deal. That's a responsibility. These families have asked to be members of our body. And Lord willing, we're going to let them. Unless there's unrepentant sin. Come on up, Tony. Un- unrepentant sin in something about their lives that's blatantly out of line with that. So let us be a church. Let us be a church that pursues holiness. Let us be a church individually and corporately that pursues holiness.